the answer, you dumb bitch. There's been too many of Dice's shows. You believe, no, this is just before Dice. This is pre. This pre -dice? Is, doesn't even matter. This is how they talk to me. My brother Johnny. Answer, you dumb bitch, is what he just wrote. Uh, uh, so guess what he's not going to get. Can't put him up before Argus. No. Yeah, no. Just give that Irish family love. Yeah, that's just that, that's how the Irish say I love you. Um, wait, put that closer to you so we can hear you because this is exciting. Is that all right? Yeah. Tell me, oh, when, we, tell yeah. me when we start. We start it. The Comedy Store would like you to know that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are strictly those of the speakers or authors and do not necessarily reflect or represent the views and opinions held by the Comedy Store and its affiliates. Oh, we this did. Is, this is what we do. It's like a crash. Oh, cool. Yeah. We just jump right into it. Um, Guys, welcome. we're live. Yeah, Comedy Store podcast. We're not really live, I guess. No. I mean, but we're, we're alive. We're alive. Um, I'm Rick Ingram. I'm Eleanor Kerrigan. We got Lord Argus Hamilton. Yes. The third right here. here. And, uh, yeah, we, we... We talk about you a lot on this podcast. Joe Rogan was referencing you the other week. Duncan Trussell. Um, Rick and I always reference you. It's, yeah, you're like a comedy store staple, if you will. Well, you, you've all become comedy store staples. Yeah, I mean, we've all been Rick, in it. Rick stayed. You started here as a cocktail waitress and just absorbed the comedy until you became comedy. Yeah. You know? She had no choice. It's almost like Caitlyn Jenner. just had no <laughs> choice. I had a turn. I as had a matter turn. of fact, what, what the podcast listeners might want to know about Eleanor Kerrigan uh -oh. is that she yes. is so well-liked by women. Okay, just great gal, not threatening. They all love Eleanor. Yeah, that's okay. weird. That when Hugh Hefner had seven blonde girlfriends, was that the late 90s? Yeah. And Eleanor was working here as a waitress and segueing to becoming comedian. Yeah. Hugh Hefner would bring these seven women from across the street, the Mondrian or the Sky, Sky Bar, Bar yeah. just to see Eleanor. And all these platinum blondes, you know, pasty makeup would just stop traffic. And there's old Hugh with seven pasty yeah. champagne blondes coming to see Eleanor. I remember Amazing. when he brought them in when I was a parking lot guy. Yeah. And they pulled in, and I, of course, just, you know, Trying to make sure I was charming because there was a chance, you know, one of those bombshells were going <laughs> to drop Hugh Jump on the spot. Yeah, who's this guy parking cars? He's got that Kansas look. <laughs> yeah, he's finally what I'm looking he's for. Hey, you all day. Boy next door. I could just hear him humming, Our state fair is a great state fair. <laughs> they, they didn't give me the time of day. That's weird. Oh. But, they, but they did request, I remember they sat in the main room and they would only let Eleanor serve them and they, they would send the one girl. Lana was, I used to, to wrestle come. with her. Oh, okay. That's why yeah. I, I used to wrestle with Lana, and she was one of Hugh's seven. They're, yeah, they're like, no one's allowed to talk to Hugh, <laughs> but... He used to bring that cowboy guy with him. Right. Yeah, they and were that's my when favorite. Hefner, Hefner was giving credit to Viagra for being able to be with all those women. <laughs> Let's try to do this. Um, yeah, this is exciting, guys. We have an advertiser. That's right. We Sponsors. have a sponsor. Is they, that right? We they, have a sponsor. We have a sponsor. Say. They listened and they said, this is the voice we want representing us. This is a voice of reason for if your hair's leaping off your head. Hey, you bald loser. Your cock's not going up. Sorry, you're soft and noodling all the time. Right? Because you went home with someone who's mid-transition and you couldn't get it up. They knew. We are the podcast of noodle dick losers. Yeah. And if you want to learn how to fix that. You would go to forhims.com, wouldn't you? That's where I would go. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Forhims.com has it all. Whatever I mean, you need. I remember not too long ago, I was bald and noodle dick in 24-7. Really? 
And then I went to fourhims.com and look at me now. I feel like you're lying, but I like it. I would never lie about something like this. No, because, you know, why, but here is the thing. I've been with bald guys, and they are embarrassed to talk about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when they can't get it up, it is like, it's not me, it's you. You know, here's a place you could just go to a website. Fourhims.com. So you don't have to be embarrassed anymore. Go out there. Check it out. We uh, there's it's a one stop shop. Dick's not going up. We got you. It's really it's it's a hair. It's a men's wellness. It's is men's what wellness. It is. It's you know to stop the problem before it gets bad. Right. Keep the hair you have. Grow a little bit more. Side effects include rock hard, hard. cock. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Buddy. That's who we should have gotten. <laughs> rock hard. Sixty six percent of. Men lose their hair by 35. Look at me. I think that's... 36 flowing Ric Flair 1984 locks, all because of forhim.com. And that's right. That's uh, <laughs> not really right, but I like that you're using that. But it this is, I mean, look, you don't need to sit and be embarrassed about stuff like this. Now there's a solution. They have medicine and they have uh, uh, science that proves this stuff. Hims will connect you with real doctors. Yes, and they the medical do. medical grade solutions to treat hair loss. That's, that's the important true. part. That is one of the important things they put on here, and we don't even need to read it because you can see it you when you go to forhims.com one-stop shop. No more trusting a random guy in a van who tells you he has the answers. We've all made that mistake. Get in the van. But here's the thing. If you go to uh, forhims.com and you order now, the Comedy Store listeners... We get, uh, you can get, you can get five months. I mean, five months, five dollars for one month. See, this is why I'm going to beat Bill Burr at reading copy because I suck at it. <laughs> That's the most but important part, though. You it, keep it real. This is true, yeah, because our listeners, they do, they get five dollars for a month of hymns. So if you go there while supplies last, and you hit go to slash tcs. That's for hymns. F O R H I M S dot com slash TCS. For hymns dot com slash TCS, and you will get it for $5 one month. Come on, guys. Go there. Listen, Tell them we sent you. Just listen to the podcast with a full head of hair, yeah. a dozen women on your arm, and just rock hard in the trousers that's what's important that's right rock hard buddy and you could be rock hard and have your hair flowing just like rick in a few days or me i have a big dick <laughs> go to forhims.com guys tcs make uh, us some money that's make the most us some money part. yes that is the most you important look good, part you feel good we make money all right we love you guys thanks for listening so there. were those uh, women. They were, they were crying. They were crying. They weren't giving credit. They were not well, different. Well, well, giving different. Viagra to Hugh Hefner at that age. Yeah, right. Like putting a flagpole on top of a condemned building. <laughs> <laughs> My lord. Uh, anyway, yeah, we, Duncan was talking about just how inspirational you are, like how much you write. You know what I mean? Like you write new jokes every day. Do you just get up and? Well, I backed myself into a corner. Um, okay. When I partied myself out of consideration for hosting The Tonight Show in the late 80s. And Leno and Letterman 
cut right in. This is back when everyone considered me Johnny's son. Right. The joke would be on me, though, because I wouldn't realize for another 30 years just how Johnny treated his sons. Oh, no. Oh, Jesus. He he preferred thinking of Letterman and Leno as his little brothers. That that made him younger. You should have saw that. Damn it. But the point is, I I wasn't reliable. Even with one and two years of sobriety, uh, my reputation was still dragging me along. This guy might. So I decided to go the newspaper route. And the Daily Oklahoman, big newspaper in Oklahoma City, the Gaylord family, put me on page two of their newspaper, and that required me to write 13 jokes a day. Wow. And then so I, I chose 13 because that's how many Johnny did every night on his monologue. Oh, wow. Oh, and I didn't it, realize there was a set the, number. And for our comedians that are listening, they're, 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 they're just classically structured jokes, premise, setup, punchlines. I would have just one rule, no quotes. Uh, uh, just make it the sentence is funny. Yeah. Right. And so um, uh, that's what I started doing. And uh, as my news, number of newspapers expanded, it became a five, you know, day a week deal. I have to do it Monday through Friday to, to feed the newspapers. Right. Yeah. They pay me pretty good pay, money. Yeah. It lets me stay in L.A. and stay here. That's right amazing. And did you start doing stand-up in Oklahoma? Or Well, yes and no. It wasn't direct stand-up, but I was a campus star at the University of Oklahoma. Amazing. From, from just coming right out of Boys State, you know. Everybody knew me, and I started hosting a campus show on Campus Corner every Thursday night called Trivia Night. And when all my fraternity brothers at the ATO house would come in, and the Delts and the Betas and SAEs would come in, and the Thetas, Pi Fis, DGs would come in, and we would just be 400 people in this restaurant, and each booth had a uh, telephone, telephone the booth where you would normally telephone your food order. Oh, okay. And But I would be at the microphone at the stand and ask trivia questions and joke setups, and if you were able to get the question right or the punchline right, you got a free pitcher of beer. Oh, that'll motivate. Uh, and that packed. Yeah. yeah, that'll motivate yeah. any college kid. And so that was that was no during. No wonder my, you're a star. That, well, that was that was just a start. That was just at, on Thursday nights, and then during the week, I had the campus humor column in the school newspaper at Oklahoma, oh, okay. which had sixty thousand circulation, and and I had a, a picture next to my column that was chest up. Three inches high and two inches wide. <laughs> yes. Right there on the editorial Delicious. page. In the middle of the Kent State, Watergate, all this time, right up to 75. Right. You know, when, when it was just really, the campus was hot. All campuses were. Yeah. It was a hot time. Oh, and yeah. I, I, the kids 70s. were pumped up. I, I had the campus. Wild. Vietnam is over. but from, from, yeah, Vietnam was winding down, and it, it got as heavy as Kent State and as light as streaking. That's that was my arc. That was my arc <laughs> oh at my campus. God, that's an amazing. Yeah, by the arc. time by the time I got out of OU, everybody had watched The Great Gatsby. We were back wearing pleated slacks and and you know uh, yeah. patches on our elbows on its jackets, and everyone was dressing up again. Oh wow! And um, it was a tremendous you know. Uh, what a great time! Yeah, it was. And then uh, as soon as uh, Nixon uh, got uh, <laughs> you know run out of town, well. Then everybody settled in and really started partying. Okay. Nixon, Nixon resigned in August, and here's what Gen Xers need to know: two months later, the hustle became number one, and everybody went to disco in celebration of Nixon being gone. Oh wow! And when, when disco erupted, cocaine was sure to follow. Okay, yep. and. See suddenly, what we did su- for you people? Suddenly, when all the baby boomers started having cash, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tremend- we were making just as much money then as they are now. 
But wow. rent was two hundred a month. The phone bill was ten dollars a month. Right. You didn't pay no, no, no social media. <laughs> it right. was dirt cheap. Wow. And so where do you think that money went? <laughs> Straight to the party. <laughs> Bogota. So now did you did you did you party? In college, I mean, beyond like drinking no, beer, was uh, that an LA? The big deal in college at that time in the southern schools, because you know it, it turns south at the OU Oklahoma Kansas, board. right? And I, Kansas, where you're from, was was a little more progressive, although KU was pretty conservative, wasn't it? Well, KU is very liberal. I don't know back then. It was then. liberal. Yeah, KU is like uh, it's in Douglas County. It's the only blue county in Kansas. Well, you would have, ah. but, you, but the point is, where would the marijuana influences come down from there? Because Rick. what we had <laughs> oh. well, at that time in the, in the seventies, yeah. we would had have been coming probably through Colorado. But okay. I know a lot of Kansas weed. They got Mexican weed through right. Texas. Well, er, much earlier than you in the seventies, uh, it. University of Oklahoma was only $40 an hour for out-of-state students. So for some reason, we attracted a lot of Chicago kids from okay. Northside Chicago. And they would come down, and they would fill up the Jewish fraternities and sororities, the SDT and, and, and the SAMIs, the SDTs, the, the, the AEPIs, AEFIs, fill them up with, with, New, with Chicago ones. And they're the ones that brought the pot down. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And so Back I tell Chicago. this at recovery meetings. At, at, at my very first time I ever smoked pot, Five of us ATOs jumped into one of those Pontiac convertibles okay. with one of the Chicago guys. And we went to the drive-in movie theater the spring of 72 or something. Okay. And so we're sitting there, and we start smoking this pot and passing it around. And we start giggling and giggling hysterically. Finally, the manager of the drive-in theater comes over, tells us to be quiet. We, it only makes us laugh harder and harder and harder. Are you watching a comedy They're or is honking. it just... This is the punchline. Oh. They kicked us out. They <laughs> kicked us dare. out during the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, okay. Now it makes more sense. I'm like, why are they mad? Oh, because people are terrified that uh, you guys are loving it. Exactly. Yeah, you guys are like, look at them just sobbing <laughs> yeah, in half. Blood, that's man. great. That's a, oh, no, let's that have a pl- vodka and tomato juice. I'll bet that's what they're using. <laughs> you know, boy, it's like a real concept for a 19 year old comedian that was (laughs) perfect so anyway uh, we raised hell all the way through college and then came out here right afterwards wow and on my uh, very first uh potluck night uh open mic at the comedy store march 8th of 76 uh by the way at school in addition to the column and the uh and in addition to the trivia night i also hosted all the campus shows Okay. Okay. And so, and tremendous like musicals and stuff like this for the parents and stuff, elaborate stuff. And I would do the monologues and stuff. And so I was trained. My fraternity brothers had told me, you're going to be a stand up comic. You're not going to law school. Right. <laughs> <Picture>. <laughs> Did you want to? Yeah. Or? All that was my pre law was, was my jo- first thing. Oh, shit. Okay. And, uh, but they, but as soon as I got initiated, uh, they said, you're not, you're a stand up. And so, in addition to studying British history, which I already knew, I, I just <laughs> smart. I, so I just took a good a, plan. I yeah. took that and Latin, which I already knew, for my major, so I could drink all night. <gasps> and, smart. Uh, Who already knows Latin? How did you Catholic grow up? school kids or no, 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 Christian school no, kids? It just uh, I'm Episcopalian Methodist. Yeah, oh, okay. I was like, but wait a minute. I just had an interest in Julius Caesar when I was a little kid. You know how, how we are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. 
People were destined to rule the world. <laughs> Rick Ingram goes immediately. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Caesar is the man. That's Napoleon, what we were talking yeah. about. The regality. You guys are regal, yeah, right? Yeah. You guys are regal. Uh, I'm, that I'm is the what Duncan was talking side. about. That's right. Yeah, you agree too quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that, that led into Julius. Caesar's commentaries and wanting to know how to translate. And then so I, I don't I taught myself. And then by the time I was in high school, Latin it was two easy A's. You know. Yeah. So so I used it 16 easy hours at OU, and then British history. My family's British history, for crying out loud. Yeah. So my line of Hamilton's, I say this in my act, we lost the English Civil War, we lost the American Revolution, we lost the American Civil War, and the war on drugs. I fought for Columbia. (laughs) Very good. But that's that's just act stuff. But that's the truth about my family. And that's me, amazing. Come to think of it. Yeah. And me, come to think of it. So you got here in '76. Yeah, March 8th. March 8th. That's funny. I love that. Because because it so happened. First of all, I was starting out the same night as Michael Keaton and Marsha Warfield. Yeah. Wow. Good right. crew. And we didn't know we were in the middle of the, we were the big, best and biggest pledge class of comedians we yeah. could have possibly had. Yeah. In the class of 76, would include Marsha, Michael Keaton, myself, uh, Robin Williams, uh, Bill Kirkenbauer, uh, Mike Binder, wow. uh, uh, Sandra Bernhardt, Bob Saget. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, Arsenio. Bob Paul. Saget goes that far? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he he okay. came in at the end just like uh, Binder did. <laughs> yeah, okay. Binder, him came in like... But Binder was a baby, wasn't yeah, he like 18 was or 17. 19? Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. He just turned 18 when he got here. And... Um, and we just adopted Binder right away as Perfect. our mascot over at Westwood. Oh, okay. What, what what today's comedy fans need to know is that in 1975, Mitzi had purchased this uh, the lease on this building in Westwood. The comedy store Westwood. And it was a perfect 235-seat room yeah. that had been Ledbetter's. Now, a lot of you listeners have heard folk songs, the new Christie minstrels. You know, you know, there's some, some vague early 60s anti-nuclear bomb era, ban the bomb when Kennedy was president. Well, folk, song, folk songs was everything. <laughs> folk, folk, it was folk. It was, That's you know, very it, was, funny. It, was, it was It was the beatniks becoming troubadours okay. before they became hippies. Okay. Okay. And this was a 60, 1961 to 63. Kind of ended when Kennedy bought it, and then the Beatles came in. But there was folk singing was huge, and Leadbetters is where all the folk singers were in L.A. over at Westwood. Oh, okay. okay. So it was a. I didn't be- know what a lead. Leadbetters was the name. I never heard of. that. Denny Johnson is the only comedian that you know that that, was, that played both. Was oh Den- wow. Denny started out as a troubadour. Okay, I can see that. <laughs> and so, uh, and he knew that whole scene with Randy Sparks and the new Christy Minstrels. This was a whole scene back then. But by the time we got it, it was a perfect comedy room. And I feel so badly for today's comics having to go seven, eight years to become regular, because Mitzi back then would take one look at you on stage, look at your charisma. If you had two or three jokes, yeah, she'd send you over to Westwood to develop. Yep. Ollie Joe Prater would be standing right next to her at on potluck night, and she would say, "Have him come, have him come, work him, work wow. him." Wow. And Mitzi would would schedule you over at Westwood. So I feel like I got I lucked out because Mitzi told me she passed me after like five seconds of me acting like a an ass on yeah. stage. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like she didn't say you're great. She just said you need to you need to work more. Yeah, you're the last one. Do and you, I was like, all right. Yeah. Do you think it was it's about two thousand? Yeah, it was uh, two thousand two. Two thousand two. That yeah. sounds okay. about right. Do you think there's just too many comics now? Like back no, then, no. I feel like it was not new, but it was new to the West Coast. 
if you will. Like New that, York was hot for comedy. That was, but what limited by the time you got here in let's say 1990? I came 93, scene, yeah. 93. By the time you got here, the road clubs had proliferated for 13 years. And that's what ah. produced all the comedians. Yeah. All the comedians. They're either going to go to New York or they're going to go to L.A. But what had happened was, was that during my third year here, George Shapiro, a producer uh, independent, sure. uh, brought back Make Me Laugh. Okay. This yeah. is the guy. He was like Seinfeld's manager. Uh, no, this was another, so it was another one. Oh, a different one. Yeah, okay. it was a different one. And he brought back a quiz show that he had in the late 1950s on network TV called Make Me Laugh. And he had uh, the MGM dancer Bobby Van host it. And they put it on Channel 5, Metro Media, which syndication back then. There were about nine channels in L.A. And Metro Media was syndicated all over the country. Wherever a, uh, a market had four or five stations, Metro Media was always one of them. Okay. So Metro Media put this show up against the local news at 11 o'clock here, 10 o'clock Central. And we kicked their asses. We kicked the news ass. I mean, uh, you are the 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 contestant. I'm the comedian, and there's there's 500 people in the studio audience, and I come out and I try to make you laugh with material. I hope, really hope, you don't laugh, so I can stay on camera and kill this crowd. That's right. Got it. (laughs) And so we're just half playing to you and murdering this crowd. Boom, 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 and. For you know, thirty minutes at a time, it moved like really fast. And three, three episodes. The first uh, two hours, two episodes after a break, and you've done a week's worth of work, and you've made eight hundred dollars, which was four months' rent. Yeah, and or survival. An eight ball. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The rent will okay. take care of itself. <laughs> we'll figure it There's out. Our Lord, we're friends. There's a floor somewhere. <laughs> If, if that eight ball's pure Who's enough. Who's going to sleep with this kind of stuff, man? I was going to say. Maybe just put some speed in it. I ain't going to sleep. If that eight ball's pure enough, there's no need to find a place That's to sleep. So, so, so Debbie the dealer took uh, checks. Debbie, oh, they took checks. That's great. Oh, Debbie was a That's pirate. School. Gohanian Debbie sunset. Oh, she was a she That's hooked amazing. on money. Here's the deal: if a guy would go to Debbie's house, she was a big favorite at the comedy store. She had an apartment at Dohenian Sunset. Okay, right. good location. And so, and so we would generally go visit her after the show about two fifteen in the morning. Stay till dawn. Right, you know, drinking nice. beer, watching television, staying up, getting excited, putting <laughs> foreign substances up our sinuses. And she was so she was such a pirate. If you had a hundred and twenty dollars on you. She would sell you an honest gram. Okay. If you had $100, she would sell you a cut gram. 60, honest half gram. 50, cut half gram. Right. If a guy was down to his last $15, she would take off her top for you. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Everyone's leaving with something. The point is is, nobody nobody left Debbie's with a nickel. (laughs) (laughs) She took it all. Exactly. Good for you, Debbie. Smart woman. Yeah, we you know, make me laugh was such a big uh, thing. I I don't remember watching it, but I remember playing it. Is that what me and my brothers yeah. used to play? Make me yeah. laugh, and I shared a room with my brothers, so there was seven of us in one room. Yeah, and the older ones Irish. would like I know, poor <laughs> is what we call it, and so the older ones would like be our bosses, you yeah. know. So I remember me and my little brother Bobby. His favorite thing was to like put his head in and then 
put his hand and make his hair like he's pulling his head back, yeah. like like someone was pulling his hair to make that's me. That's his a, big yeah, that was his comedy. Big, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to make me and my brother Billy laugh. And one time he literally lifted his feet, and we were like, "Wow, that's hysterical!" We're dying, and then my brother Jimmy came in holding Bobby in his hands, and we were like, "Oh shit!" And we just pretended to be asleep like real fast. But that was our favorite game to play, and that's what we would get in trouble for playing "Make Me Laugh." I don't remember ever seeing it. Well, what um, happened was before that, before "Make Me Laugh." It was, it was the comedy store and the improv out in L.A. and the, the clubs you know in New York. In New York, yeah. Catch, comic strip. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Make Me Laugh came and all the clubs mushroomed all over the country. It was because of Make Me Laugh. Right. And every major city would have – this is the golden age of, of the roads. From about 80 to 85, all the major cities had a 300-seat club. And all the guys on Make Me Laugh would get door deals. And they would go out with these door deals with a percentage of the ticket sales. And they would make $5,000 a week in Jesus. the early 80s. Wow. Again, rent is about 300 a month. Yeah, that's great. Telephone's $20 a month. Yeah. I mean, they're making it's all this money. It's to be a comedian yeah. for but, but, a brief <laughs> era of time. But, 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 but leave it to lie for Hoover's to take over and ruin everything. <laughs> <laughs> because then there's always a greedy club owner and a second greedy club owner, a third one. They say, well, any town that can support one comedy club can support three. Right. 20, yeah. And then they get into paper wars, cutting each other's prices, and the price plummets. Oh, yeah. Right. By this time, your, your regular from Make Me Laugh has been on the road. He, he's got a house. He's hooked on the mortgage. He's knocked up the waitress on the road. Okay. And now, he's, now they're making... 800 a week right. they're just dying <laughs> yeah death. and they so they come back to LA and LA has forgotten about them yep because <laughs> because now Louis Anderson and Jerry Seinfeld and Larry Miller and a whole oh, new group wow. of guys Jimmy Brogan's here you know who are you again <laughs> yeah well, yeah too bad you were in Toledo for the last yeah. three years we have new new breed of I was comics. lucky Mitzi wouldn't let me go east of La Brea she didn't trust me it's amazing <laughs> she didn't trust you no, that's right rightfully so she <laughs> she had the best instincts of any woman in the world. <laughs> ever, ever, right? Oh. She was so on it, man. Uh, on it. On it all the time. What? So when you showcased for her, you got passed right away? Well, yes and no. Uh, she, she wanted me well, to come back and see me again. She wanted okay. to see me again the next week. But what happened was there just happened to be a reporter in the room for a Sunday supplement back in the 60s and 70s called Orbit Magazine. And it was in all the papers all around the country. It was like, think of a news magazine, like Entertainment Tonight or something, yeah. but, but in a newspaper. Right. And they had a reporter there, and they, they, had a, they quoted one of my jokes, my very oh, first, wow. that went nationwide. Uh, President, former President Nixon had just gone to China on some peace envoy thing for, for President for Ford. President to go to China for Ford, a long yeah. time or whatever. Yeah. And... Uh, I had some stupid joke. Uh, I don't know why Nixon went to China on a jet. Why didn't he go on a rickshaw pulled by a mule? Spiro Agnew could have used the exercise. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. And it's an Agnew easy Agnew shot. joke, yeah. right? But boy, the crowd just, wow, that's smart and funny, and I get it, I get it, I get it. I, whenever you see an L.A. crowd, get a current events that's joke. Amazing. It's yeah. Eureka. Yeah. <laughs> you tell that joke today, a bunch of millennials would go, rickshaw, I think that's offensive. Very offensive. Culturally appropriating. <laughs> <laughs> and all the comments would be like, that's why it's great. Yeah. Kill, kill, kill. Yeah, we're all Why do you think you're laughing? Enjoy being offended, millennials. Yeah. Admit it, you're laughing at Japanese people, it. aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's 
so great. <laughs> but anyway, that, so that so all my fraternity brothers saw, saw that quote and they thought I'd made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Well, back then, yeah, that was the only. There was no social yeah. media, so that was the only medium. I didn't paper know. or news I mean, or in, some. In, in regular America, as I call it, it's still like that. I remember the first commercial I ever did was a. Uh, uh, a giant Cheetos commercial. Yeah. This is like maybe 10, 11 years ago. Yeah. I grew my mustache. I looked stupid. <laughs> so and someone hot. was like, perfect for this commercial. <laughs> and so they filled my mustache with or this orange powdered cheese like they use from like Kraft Mac and Cheese. Uh-huh. And spun me around in this thing and just hit me in the face with a bunch of Cheetos. Amazing. And Every person I went to high school with hit me up on, on MySpace at the time. Oh my God, you're doing so great out there! <laughs> <laughs> and I got I got like three grand for the whole thing. But I was just like, this and a is bag it. of Cheetos. This is that it. Was it. And a desire to never eat Cheetos again. <laughs> <It> never. <laughs> so gross. Oh, that is just gross. all day. I but yeah, I mean, everyone I knew was just like, oh my! I'm told everyone I know you. I'm like, yeah. Work with Chester Cheeto. But there's that good. one friend that said, so you sold out before you got a series, didn't you? <laughs> oh, right. son of a seeker. You did commercials, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you whore. You gay man. <laughs> you have one friend. And I'm still whoring. <laughs> Let them know I'm whore as long as I can. every angle I can do it in. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I got in that uh, Geico commercial. Uh, I filmed it last year, and they just aired it for a couple months. Was George that Washington George crossing Washington, the. Yeah. That is so funny. Yeah. Which one are you? Which one are you? Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm the uh, revolutionary soldier in the back of the boat, yelling at the guys to push. So there's like push. all the frontiersmen. Okay. That's the funniest commercial I've ever seen. It is the funniest. Yeah. Com- they do I, great I, commercials, I, I, don't they? It's a great one. And, the, and the, what's the tagline at the very end? Big man with a horn. Big man yeah. with a horn. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God, that's funny! Yeah, so Washington that. crossing the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, and the the guy who played Washington, he's just super nice, and we're all just kind of sitting around hanging out. And after like two hours, he's like, "Are you religious?" And I was like, what? <laughs> "Oh, oh <no>. boy!" <laughs> I go, "No, not really." really? He's like, well, "I'm Scientologist." Oh, and then okay. He gave me a full Scientology pitch oh. about how I should come check it out and how he thinks I'd be great for the, it'd be great for me and I'd be great for it. I'm just like, "Yeah, I don't know, man." But I mean, he's hardcore. So oh, I, and then I looked him up later because I'm just like, he was super nice, but it was just weird. I've never had someone pitch me Scientology before. Well, yeah. it's a newer religion. They got to yeah. push it harder. So, yeah. So <laughs> I, I looked up his YouTube videos because he told me, you know, I do Robin Williams impressions and he's an impressionist. Oh, boy. So I look it up and like all of his impression reel is like him doing like reading scientology books oh no it's robin williams reading l ron hubbard's and i'm just like oh, oh no his impressions are all pitch for he's working his way up the chain he's scientology he's kissing he, ass he's trying yep. he, 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 he just wants to be cruz's minion i think oh there you go did he have very a weird. bigger part in the commercial he's george washington that's scientology so that's for how you. it works i guess <laughs> they're moving up yeah move over knew. jews scientologists yeah. are coming in they're taking over. That's insane, cool. man. But it was fun. It was one day, and then now the way the commercials work, unless unless it's insurance, telephones, or fast food, they don't air any of the other ones on network anymore. Really? So, like, in the last couple of years, like, Neil Brennan directed some uh, Gatorade commercials a couple yeah. years ago and put me in them, and, and they did nine commercials, but I ended up making about nine grand from the nine commercials. Wow. wow. Which is still, you know, great for a couple of days worth of but work. That's but back not- in the day, it would have been, I would have 30, made 50 grand. 50, yeah. yeah, wow. 
So, but I was I was so happy. Even Do you use I'm a just, forensic accountant to check on it? <laughs> um, well, no. Now they list everything. Like, there's a website for all the commercial airings. It tells you what, how much it was aired on networks and how much on cable and the internet and. It gives you actual numbers of everything, so you can you can. Oh, follow I didn't know up. that you can do that. That's great. Yeah. Well, the, the comedy store plumbing contractor for forty years, Andy Stewart. His oh. wife Teresa uh, was a Century City accountant, and she specialized in that forensic accounting for rock and roll stars. Okay. To track down their residuals and their copy for their oh, yeah. uh, for the radio plays royalties. Ra- yeah. Right, royalties. Yeah. That's the word. Yeah. So, so apparently, oh, wow. it's all online now. Yeah. At least with, with like anyone can it look it up. You mean? Yeah, yeah. It's you can just go to. Oh, that's there's a couple really websites cool. and It's listed on there. And are you paid per play or just flat fee? Uh, you're still paid per play if it's on network. That's why it's oh. important to get it on network. Right. Um, you, you just get a cable buyout and they can right. show it endlessly on cable, and uh, you get an internet buyout. And SAG has really dropped the ball and. Uh, they've lost so many clients to just doing non-union stuff now that they basically just caved, and you get next to nothing now for. Do you see sagging after uh, gradually collapsing? I think it will. Yeah, I think it will too. I mean, everything is just like non-union. They don't want to pay the fees. Yeah. They don't want to like. It's just crazy. I get a new letter every day about commercial stuff and this and that from SAG. Like, yeah, it's out of control. It feels did, like it's. Did I read what there's two hundred uh, channels now? Is it about, about 200? Yeah. I think I read there are 200 it's channels be more than and, that. And, and almost 500 dramas now, or 500 comedy hour drama, right. you know, acting. Wow. Acting, about almost 500 shows on the air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 200 Including channels. streaming now. and stuff, yeah. Yeah. It, it like, nowadays, if you do something, people are like, oh, you're going to make it. You know, you did something. I'm like, no, no one's going to, like, no one notices anymore. I tell tell reporters, uh, outsiders, Mm -hmm. the difference between the comedy store now and back then. Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear that. Was that back then, you you showcased at the comedy store so you could get on network TV, right? Now you do network TV so you can get on at the comedy store. <laughs> yes, that's it's true. true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we become the credit store. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you have to have credits, man. I, I remember when uh, when Adam started bringing in some of the big name guys yeah. to perform around here, <laughs> and it started, you know, shows started selling out. Yeah, and uh, it was like just that change where it's like, whoa, this is all right, you know, and it wasn't someone's doing two hours. So it ruins the night for everyone. It was a big name guy coming in and doing like twenty minutes, yeah. and bringing in a crowd. And at the time, I lived across the street from Tommy, the old talent coordinator, yeah. and he was still mad about not yeah. working. And he came <laughs> over because he saw uh, David Spade was on the lineup. And he was just furious. He's like, "What are they doing, David Spade? They don't need David Spade. He's not one of Mitch's guys. So no one wants to see him." I was like, "Well, the show was sold out last night." He's like, "Well, okay." All right, well, you know, as long as he's doing his time. Right. <laughs> That's him. Yeah. You just did a Fucking perfect impression of our former talent coordinator. Okay. That was a perfect impression. Oh, yeah, people request it. it uh, it's, it's a big thing. Him and uh, Earl Skakel were on doing du- Dueling Tommies at one point. Dueling Tommies. Today Such I'm hoping to get Dueling life. Arguses. We'll see what happens. Uh, uh, I used to, I would, I still leave the building because I can't hear it. It's, <laughs> it's so hard, right? But it, it's also a form of flattery. Of you know that, I'll, right? I'll say like, that, but I just don't want to hear it. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
<laughs> I've heard it's too good. Too many it's people have said, have you heard Rick do you? No, no, so no. Perfect. I like him. You know, I'll, I'll call him up on the phone, ask him how he's doing, how's the baby. You're not doing me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> to the baby only. <laughs> the baby thinks her daddy is Argus. I, no. <laughs> I, I used to do it so much. Because I was always so drunk when I was up here. Yeah, he did drunk Argus. I did drunk Argus. And yeah, I, I got sober in 87, and you were doing the drunk me 15 years later. Yeah, yeah I, right? I, I did. Uh, I think it was just sober. It was just normal Argus yeah. when I started going on the road with Pauly. Yeah. And then Johnny Carson died, and my impression started drinking <laughs> that was that was the gag but it, so then from that night on it showed up and everyone was like oh hey hey argus sorry about johnny and i would do it and they would be like oh he's drunk now <laughs> and so then it just became that and then it's like you know some of the old school guys like charlie hill guys like that they wouldn't even. Uh, they never even addressed me as Rick. Right, right, right. Yeah, always, Charlie would love it. Yeah, oh, yeah Charlie. You, you just hear him laughing as soon as I start. Oh, Argus, what are you doing here? <laughs> You're not drinking again, are you? <laughs> yeah, Charlie would come up to me. You know, Ollie Joe Prater died in in '91 or something, and he Charlie would come up to me in 2001, and he would say, Argus, you heard the good news. I said, What? He said, Ollie Joe's gone ten years without a drink now. <laughs> Oh my God, that's a great oh, show. Oh, Charlie was always oh, the so sweetest you, man. Sweet, but, could but you get right in there. Yeah, you. he could. Oh God, yeah. love him. So yeah. wait, speaking of Johnny Carson, like when was the first time you obviously you remember that date? The first night you yeah, got was, on Carson, and you know what? We just lost the great uh, Tim Jones. I know. Uh, and did you know Tim? I didn't know Tim. Did, so he, I think he must, I met him. I think I met him one time, maybe, but I, I didn't ever. He hit the road right about the time. But uh, he, he he was a really long working road comic. By the time you got here, yeah, but he Tim, did a lot of commercials. Tim too. Jones was a really handsome, small, nice looking guy, sweet gentleman, black guy. He was so such a gentleman. NBC hired him as a page, and yeah. that was their that was their executive recruiting program. That he was going places at NBC if he wanted to, and he was a page. I think they hired him in '79, and. I'm backstage about to do my first Tonight Show shot, January 8, 1980. Wow. And I'm, the curtain's there, and Tim comes up behind me in his blue NBC jacket. And we just, by the way, for the listeners, we just lost him to Lou Gehrig's disease yeah. about a week ago. Oh, I was curious what yeah. happened. Yeah. And so uh, I look down about 30 seconds before the intro, and for the first time in my life, my right knee started shaking uncontrollably. Oh, wow. And I said, I'm looking down like, we've come this far, and you're doing this. To, I can't believe it. It was just. Uh, Are you on drugs or anything? No, no, no. no, no, no this is a- I always did my Carson shot sober. Oh, okay. And and so uh, Tim Reed just come, uh, Tim Jones comes up and puts his arm around me. He says, Argus, it's just a party. And that was what the right word to say to a party animal. <laughs> <laughs> I walked out there, murdered Johnny, jumped out of his chair, came over and shook my hand and put his arm around me. And. And it said, you know, this is gonna, this, this kid's going someplace, you know. Yeah, I showed him. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I showed him. <laughs> so, and so. Give me a couple of years of partying, Johnny. We'll talk again. So it only took you I four did, years to get on there. Three and a half. Three and a half. That's wow. All, that's that's what it took. I, I, let's get back to that because it's because of Westwood. Got it. As Mitzi would send us over to Westwood, and her idea was we would be good enough to come up to the Comedy Store Sunset and perform with her venerated 
New York comedians that had come out in 72, 3, and 4 right. when Johnny moved The Tonight Show to L.A. Yeah. All these guys from Catch a Rising Star and from the Improv in New York moved to L.A. in 72 and 3 with Johnny. Okay. And they came right to the comedy store, and they were the, the, the Praetorian Guard of the comedians. Yeah. Right. And we kids, we baby boomers, she would send us over to Westwood. Well, the ironic <laughs> thing is... Westwood is a hell of a lot better room than the original room. Yeah. The original room. <laughs> it's it, hard. It, it was, it's hard because it was insulated with what, styrofoam. What is it you insulate things with? Uh, fiberglass. Yeah, fiberglass. Yeah. Yeah. It was insulated by Ciro's back in the 1940s, so you wouldn't hear what the big band was going on in the main room. Right. So it's oh. so laughter just dies into that soft wall and doesn't ricochet. So in the original room, you have to stick, as you both know, or instinctively know, the moment that laugh ends, you start with the next setup. Oh, yeah. You don't strut around and, and listen to the laughter ricochet through the original room. Yeah. You stay on it. Yeah. There's I'll no do, acoustics. I, I'll yeah. do 18 minutes of material in 15 in the original room. <laughs> uh, just because I don't, I don't want them to no dead think, time, realize yeah. what hilarious. a con I'm pulling on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so... And so we. The point is, it's seventy six, seven, and eight. We've got all the beer and wine we need over at Westwood, and we just established a colony over there. That's and because amazing. Mitzi was, uh, couldn't buy a liquor license for Westwood, it became beer and wine with four little restaurant items that made it a restaurant. Got that it. That allowed eighteen year olds to come in, and we became the nightclub for Uni High. Uh, Beverly Hills High, Taft, El Camino out in the West Valley. Oh, they wow. would all oh, come. Yeah. That would be their little place. UCLA, yeah. it was the place. You know, you'd, you'd have uh, Sean Cassidy and 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 Gabri Ferrer would come in. You know, right? I Wasn't mean, like Drew Barrymore's mom a door yeah, girl or something? Yes, uh, Drew Barrymore's mother. Uh, her name back then was. Um, Let's see, but she's, she's Jade now. Okay. But her name was Ildico back then. <laughs> okay. Beautiful, slim brunette. And she had intentionally gotten herself impregnated by John Barrymore's oh, son yeah. in order to have a Barrymore. I believe it. And she used to bring little Drew into the comedy store Westwood <laughs> at the age of like six months to a month. Oh, my God. On her way to Gerber's baby food auditions. <laughs> awesome. Jesus. I'm not kidding. <laughs> It's the original Kardashian. My wife was pushing that. Like, <laughs> see if your commercial agent will send out Julia. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not starting my kid Rick, down the, she's walking. the cocaine highway at, at zero. Yeah, she, and, and of course, by the age of 13, she's Drew the secretary at Cocaine Anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I swear, I can't make it. In the main room at the comedy oh, yeah. store. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wednesday night. Oh, I shouldn't. Well, anyway. Never know. I get it. I get it. But, but, but she, she recovered quickly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a legend now. But the point is, is it... Uh, I'm making for the comedians is that by the time Mitzi would come over and see us, we were so good. We weren't ready for Sunset. We were ready for The Tonight Show. Right. Wow. Uh, Dice Clay was ready for yep. uh, for TV. Daniel Fields. Michael yeah. Keaton got his very first uh, uh, sitcom with Jim Belushi without setting one foot in Sunset. Robin Williams became a superstar from Westwood. Jesus. Where, yeah. in, where in Westwood was the, the store located? Uh it's uh, a block above Santa Monica on Westwood on the west side of the street, 1621. Okay. It's, it's, it's an Italian restaurant now, s- straight across from Supercuts. Oh, okay. how, how long did it survive, Westwood? And up until ni- December 31st of 84. 
the owner of the property tried to quadruple the rent. And Mitzi said, well, I'll just find another location in Westwood Village. That'll be better. Oh, okay. Closer to UCLA. Oh, and so she found a little 90-seat room, but it never quite took off because right. it just it it's wasn't the, the same. same. Yeah. It wasn't the same. And the interesting. most interesting thing about that. I didn't realize it closed so early. I thought Westwood no, was no, open until like lived. 90. Yeah. But it, yeah, uh, Dante and that group of comics in 84, 5, 6, 7, mm-hmm. those guys in the mid-80s, they were they were that little club. That little 90-seater. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, the thing about the comedy store Westwood is I walked in there about four or five years ago, and there was a 28-year-old guy standing there at the bar by himself in the afternoon cleaning up. I just this stuck is my the head new location. Or no, this the is old, the old the location. The old location. Oh, 1621. The, the way it is now. Yeah. Got uh, it. Like, for instance, Jay Leno would take his wife in there and ha- ha- eat there and, and tell this guy stories about the comedy store Westwood. Yeah. So I walked in there, and he says, Argus, how you doing? I said, fine. Uh, don't know you, but uh, you, you know me from what, uh, TV, the comedy store? He says, no, I saw you speak at the AA meeting last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. This is what it's come to. <laughs> the new and, fame. And he said, but I know, I know you're a comic and all that. He said, but there's something you don't know. No, Argus. I said, what? He said, I closed this place down at night, okay? And when I'm at the back of the room, I can hear Sam Kennison screaming at oh the front God. of the room, turning the blender on and off. <laughs> and when I'm in the front of the bar, cleaning the bar, I can hear him in the back, screaming back there, his bellow scream. Wow. And, he's, and I believed him because... Sam was a cook there, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. 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 Back then... Um, about four or five years ago, speaking of ghosts, maybe it was six or seven years ago, we had a courtroom sketch artist come into the main room for one of these Halloween specials that we always oh, yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. About, are there ghosts at the comedy store? Right. There are. Yes. Yeah. A, a sketch artist, a civilian, some and woman like from someone Buena Park or something that knows nothing about comedy. Right. She, she's a 35-year-old courtroom sketch artist, and she can draw you boom, 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 right? She sits down, and she's also able to see ghosts. Oh, great. So they film her right there in the main room on uh, two days before Halloween, and she, she starts drawing, 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 and she shows that it's a perfect drawing of Ollie Joe Prater. <gasps> perfect drawing, cowboy hat, beard, the whole thing. Whoa. There's no doubt. No wow. doubt. Wow. So Sam's at Westwood, Ollie Joe's at Sunset. That would Man. freak me out. Do you but think yes. Holly Joe is uh, stealing the other ghost's material? <laughs> <laughs> he's got he's got bit going. <laughs> you see, Holly Joe was our generation's Jackie Gleason. Just yes. big, bombastic, uh, always making a mistake, but you loved him anyway. And and just like Jackie Gleason, Jackie Gleason stole his very first act back yeah. in the late 1930s in, in Jersey nightclubs. And Holly Joe just, once he would go on the road, he would do everybody's best stuff that fit him wasn't that kind of the thing they did back then i mean i know it doesn't sound right but i feel like a lot of comics were like oh i just did you learn history from michael wheels parisi (laughs) by (laughs) any chance well no i'm just like milton burrow like i've heard burrow was that was another generation and that's what i'm saying but they did it then the other group you're saying like in the vaudevillian sense it kind of just they wouldn't always do original uh, stuff comics like jack guilford held it against burrow forever okay Uh, whenever they would do routines on uh, yeah but i know milton burrow i don't know Jack Guilford. You knew his face. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Oh yeah. Potato okay, chip you're commercial. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. they they held it against each other back then, but they but Ollie Joe for some reason you didn't matter because you, you knew he he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna do it on TV yeah, and exactly. ruin your career. 
Well, because that's the, the problem. Viewer, Ollie Joe was a mountain-looking guy, oh, yeah. pretending to be a southerner with, with a cowboy hat. <laughs> Where was and he from? Uh, Michigan. Oh, <laughs> five foot seven, three hundred pounds. I'm seventy-one. One of those Bob Seger yeah. cowboys. And, and he would walk out on stage uh, holding seven. a pitcher of beer, best opener I've ever seen, and yeah. an empty glass. And he would say, "My name is Ollie Joe Prater." And he would hold up the picture of Coors and say, this right here, this is Praterade. <laughs> and he would pour the beer into the, the, the glass, okay, 12-ounce glass of Coors. Put the glass inside his mouth, okay, oh, full with on. no Lips hands. It. Hold it, all right? Yeah. The, the glass would be inside his mouth, straight up and down. He's holding it with his teeth. He would jerk his head back, okay? <gasps> and the beer would go down his throat in a split second. Jesus. He would say, I'm an educated man. And that right there is everything I learned in college. <laughs> <laughs> and the crowd, you could imagine, just exploded. Yeah. Uh, that was his. And But he did get a little sticky-fingered on the road. And so the road comics got had annoyed. a joke that got back. Have you heard it? I think you told me once. Yeah. That, uh, I'll tell you. Yeah, tell it again because I think the, it's the great. The comics would tell each other in the 80s that if Ollie Joe Prater came up to you on, on, on Sunday night and you were coming in, this was his last night. Okay. <laughs> If Ollie Joe you know, bought you a drink, it meant he did one of your jokes. <laughs> and if Ollie Joe offered to s- smoke a joint with you, it meant he'd done one of your routines. Okay. But if he offered you a line of Coke, it meant you just played Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, that's awful. And he was so lovable. And, and Mitzi would just torture him by not giving him time slots for two or three days at a time. Oh, it just killed him. Oh. <laughs> and she was doing it just just, just to, to mess with him? Just to mess with him. Just, God, she was the master. Oh, she, she was. Really? She, could jump. she had a 320-pound, five-foot-seven guy jumping through 10-foot hoops. <laughs> she, it, it saddens me that these newer comics, uh, they're great in their own right, but its they don't know her. They didn't have that rapport with her. A lot of them. I mean, I didn't even have it that much as a comic. Well, she as loved you. She as loved. She loved you have. as a waitress. Yeah. She did. And then I was her assistant. I mean, we, yeah. we did a lot together. Yeah. We she tried to. I tried to help her with a book. The yeah. she was like, "You want to help me write a book?" And I'm like, "I could barely read." I don't <laughs> think. But then it was a coffee table book, and we had a blast going through all these pictures of Vegas and stuff. And yeah. it never came to fruition. But what year was this? Uh, I would say ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah. So she was maybe two thousand. Yeah, because then I started um, wrestling, and I <laughs> told her I was wrestling, and so I'd show up at her house with like a black eye, you know, bandages, uh. and she'd be like, "Who's doing this to you?" <laughs> <laughs> you could say something. I'm like, "No, Mitz, I'm wrestling. You don't have to hide it." I'm like, "No, I'm serious. <laughs> I don't have to hide it." <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's it's weird to me to think. And again, I, I got here just for like the tail end of Mitzi still coming in fairly regularly. Yeah. But it's weird to me to think that there's so many comics here now that perform here regularly that never had the fear of God from right. Mitzi walking oh, yeah. in the building. That is <laughs> sure. I mean, that's, that that's is the fear closest of I God. ever felt to just being like, <laughs> oh shit, I, I might, I might die tonight. <laughs> this lady, you know, guys like Leno and Letterman just didn't want to know she was in the room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they were performing, yeah. you mean? Yeah, yeah sure. Okay, here's the hole she had. I mean, Leno. Letterman had a few bad sets in a row in 1974. And he was headed back to Indianapolis to go oh, back yeah, and yeah. take his job back. And she talked him into staying. That's the hole she had. Yeah, wow. she used to tell me that. And then in that. the middle of the strike in 1979, 
I went next door to the Hyatt uh, and worked out the entire agreement with uh, the head of the strikers, Mark Lano, yeah. who would wind up you know, being one of the owners of the improv. improv. He was the husband of Joanne Astro, the president of the strikers. So I walked next door to the Hyatt after two weeks of the strike. We, we, we make all the settlements that, that are in attack today. We agree. We shake hands. I come back to Mitzi to say, we got it done. And she's sitting by the window at the, uh, in the original room watching the, uh, the picketers outside mm. through the window. And just as I'm walking over to the Hyatt, all of a sudden, 150 strikers start break into the Tonight Show theme song. And what's happening is, is that David Letterman has pulled in. He just guest hosted for the first time, May of 79, the Tonight Show. And they're, they're, they're all singing the, you know, the song as he pulls in. This is And Letterman gets out of his car, walks down the ramp, and Mitzi's watching to see what he's going to do, and he joins the strikers. Ooh. And that hurt her oh, more than anything her. I've ever seen in my life. She's Luckily, told me that Alan story. Stephen was sitting next to her, mm-hmm. or she might have cried herself to death. And that, then I come in saying, well, got a solution. She said, no, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. No so we had three more bitter weeks after that, but we still wound up with the same settlement. Wow. Wait, and the, my question, so the strike, you obviously were on Team Mitzi. Mitzi. Yeah. Team Mitzi, which it's a weird thing. People ask me about it all the time. Like, what side would you be on? I'm like, you know, I don't know because – I. Like they would go up in the original room, like say the Jimmy Walker, yeah. right? Okay, this guy's making tons of money because he was seen in the original room, so he doesn't. You know what would be the big deal if she gave him fifteen dollars at that moment yeah. or whatever it is, whatever it was back then? You know what I mean? Like I started the strike. I ought to know. Yeah. So yeah, how do you put, put, explain it? I guess. Okay. In, you started it. Yeah, I started it. I started it in uh, the previous June or July. Okay. It's about 2.30 in the morning in the main room. And Mitzi's just distraught because Shelly Berman or one of her peer comedians that she rearranged the, and redecorated the main, main room, room for, for drew about 100 customers. Okay. All the guys that could pack that place were in Vegas and would not. Well, they couldn't, they, I believe, they, they because couldn't. it would mess the, up their, their Vegas agents draw. wouldn't let them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so the Rickleses and the Buddy Hackett's, they wouldn't play it. So Mitzi's stuck with this room, and, and Biff Maynard and I are sitting there partying with her. Yeah, and, uh, and she starts crying about it, and I said, I said, Mitzi, we're crying out loud. Last weekend, I told her, I'm emceeing over at Westwood and, and, and greeting people and seating them. And the phone rings, and the improv needs people, and we have 100 people outside, and I send them all over to the improv. We're sending people over to the improv by the hundreds because we're so full yeah i said why can't they be in the main room watching guys like letterman and mooney and dreesen and leno yeah. and gallagher and elaine boozler you've got these sensational phenomenal comics. why don't you do it she says because this is she said because this is a professional room and that was she wanted that she, she really wanted, wanted that headliners it's a professional room it's, 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 yeah. not, it's not a workshop and i said to her let the cover charge pay for it, okay? Yeah. Let the cover charge pay for it. And, you know, what then? Just charge $10 and then, you know, give five bucks to the comedians. She said, that's against policy. <laughs> her own policy. <laughs> yeah. And so. Set in her way. And so um, um, she decided, I finally talked her into it. And she decided on a policy where she would sell people 
six tickets for $25. Okay. Some, some package things she wanted to sell people. She wanted that money right away. Yeah. And so she, she sold that, and she started scheduling uh, comics that way. And it worked for about a month, but then it, it wasn't working, and so Mitzi just decided to just have regular shows in there and then not pay since the, the thing didn't work. And that lasted about a week, and Tom Dreesen called together the 25 main room comics that were main room quality right? And, and uh, to, in order to, to meet with Mitzi and, and yeah. get an equitable settlement. But Dreesen made a mistake, in my view, in that somehow the word got out and all the comedians came to the meeting. Oh, okay. And Dreesen accidentally recruited an army to do the work of a company or, or a battalion. You know? Right. Right. And, and Dreesen was stuck with feeding this army. And all of a sudden, the issue became not the main room, but Sunset and Westwood, Belly Room. Everywhere. Everywhere. Improv. Everywhere. Everywhere. Whatever was open. Including a lot of comedians who had no right getting paid for what they were providing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, And it was full of people who'd either just been passed or never would be passed. Right. Right. And so the... uh, uh, it, it went on and went on and went on. And finally, Jeff Altman made the same argument you just made. Why, yeah, just just $5 for cab fare, yeah. Mitzi. And Mitzi says, I would not disgrace you know, the profession that way by paying you $5. Because her her, her, time, her her thing, I believe. And she's coming from an old school point of view kind of at this well, point. Well, she, she always, she loved college at the University of Wisconsin. And she considered yeah. herself a bohemian. And so she considered herself as a bohemian the... Uh, the head of an artist colony. Yeah. Right. And, and, <laughs> As and Tommy I'll, would always tell us. I'll tell you something interesting about that. Although only us MCs and doormen got paid, I got paid pretty well, and the tips were terrific. Yeah. Though, but the comics who weren't paid, you know what they did back then? They showcased their asses off all the time for the industry. Yeah. And they got hired. Yep. Right. Okay. Yep. Mitzi's was tied to the idea that a $3 cover charge is what keeps the place packed. And if she charged five dollars or ten dollars and paid the comics, the place wouldn't fill up. That yeah. was that was her core fear, I believe. Yeah, interesting. And that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. people think ah, you know that's next to nothing for yeah. what I'm getting. I might yeah. as well and, go. And, and Dreesen had a good point. He said, "Well, what's three dollars? Pay five and pay the comics. Everybody got a five dollar bill. They don't need the two dollars back." You know? Right. Right. <laughs> right. That's yeah. true. That's interesting. But she told me a story about George Miller's mother. Work George Miller, right? Yeah, yeah, George Miller's mother working in the accounting, accounting. office, yeah. and her being the one that's saying, "This woman's making a lot of money. You guys should be getting paid." Yeah. Well, uh, George Miller's mother resented Mitzi. George Miller's mother was maybe seventy. It was after Mitzi paid for her medical exactly. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But George's mother was a, a, a resentment holder, mm-hmm. you know? and Mitzi smelled that. And so Mitzi's instinct was to make her suffer even more. <gasps> okay. So what she did was okay. she God, forced this seventy-year-old woman. woman to go up these steep stairs all the way to the third Jesus. floor I didn't even to where think Polly's of that. office is now. Yes, yeah. that's where we used to do the, the accounting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and turn left and into the yep. accounting office, and those are steep stairs. Oh hell yeah! yeah. And she made, and she was just, uh, you could just hear her going up the stairs. You could feel her seething. And uh, and she did feed a lot of that to George. Have to walk right yeah. past Mitzi's yeah. office, keep going <laughs> up. Because George was not a recessive personality. He didn't mind chaos. Right. You know, he he wore he was a kind of con- 
kind of like you are on stage. I mean, he he let you have it right yeah. in your face. He was a much nicer guy on stage. He really <laughs> I was. That, yeah. Off stage, George Miller would uh, he'd, he'd take you for two hundred dollars at the pool table, and you wouldn't even know it. Really he was amazing. That's amazing. Letter, Letterman really loved Letterman that guy, loved right? It. Letterman yeah. loved, loved it. it. I remember when, when he passed. Letterman. I just remember watching. Uh, Late night, was it, that was Letterman's show? Yeah. The, late, the Late Show. The yeah. Late Show. Watching The Late Show, and he gave like this five-minute yeah, kind of speech lot. about how great George Miller was, and I, I, sad to say I didn't even know who he was well, the at reason the time. You know, he was tremendous sarcastic uh, Yeah, I only humor. know him through Mitzi. Tall, blonde-haired guy, yeah. born in 1941. He was a war baby. Right. And what, what everybody loved about him was how brutally honest he was. That was what was what he was one of these alpha personalities. He could tell the truth about himself and yeah. you, right? And you just laugh, and you didn't dare not laugh because he was so he, he didn't miss a trick. <laughs> yeah, and and the most interesting thing now for today's listener right now on this podcast, yeah, is that you just mentioned David Letterman's requiem for him on the air. David gave that soliloquy because he couldn't make it out to George's memorial, right? Which at was held at the Laugh Factory, yeah. That, so, that it, I do remember him saying something about that specifically. So all the comics go to the Laugh Factory. And what we don't know is that there's a Los Angeles Times reporter at the Laugh Factory named oh, Bill Needlecedar <laughs> in there who had written uh, – he had been the uh, Los Angeles Times show business columnist during the strike of 79. So we all knew Bill, and he, he was very interested. We, we were in the newspaper every day and every Sunday in the calendar section. And Needle Cedar kept us there. He's at George Miller's rec- Requiem at the Laugh Factory in 2005. And everybody gets up and we just have a riot laughing about it. And Needle Cedar gets the idea of writing a book about the strike. And he writes a book about the strike and it's called I'm Dying Up Here. Yeah. yeah. And that's the series now on HBO that the premiere in a month yeah. second, season. second season second season i just filmed yeah. uh i did one episode a couple weeks ago yeah. that's george miller's uh memorial uh writ large Brought that on together. hbo wow that's so crazy uh, now you were mentioned by name in the pilot of uh i'm dying up here season one Oh, somebody told me that. Like, yeah. let's get, like a time well, slot that opened up. That I yeah, let she, Argus do it. Yeah, she Argus said, I'll get, and Mule Deer. Yeah, I'll get, yeah, if you don't like your spot, I'll, get, I'll give it to Argus and Mule Deer. <laughs> and when I so heard great. Her, I was, like, I was never mentioned in the same sentence as Mule Deer back then. He was a headliner. He was a big one. Uh, he was huge. He had this incredible act with, with bells and whistles and sound effects and really? a truck full of props. And it, and who would bring his props in? Oh, this little brunette that just oh. would do anything for him. Deborah Winger. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Winger. She worked here as well. Here yes. at Westwood. Here. She was his caddy and lover. Oh, uh, he my just, oh, goodness. he got all the girls. I, I was never mentioned with Mule there, but and he was a, he was the nicest, greatest guy in the world. I was up, I was an MC saying, uh, I you know our pedestrian lights in Oklahoma flash mosey and don't, don't mosey. mosey. <laughs> oh boy, still one of my favorite jokes, Argus. Uh, my best one too. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it, you know the people. I think they have writing in her, you know, in their 30s and 40s. So to yeah. them, they said, we know Argus was in the scene, and we know Mule yeah, there sure, was in sure. the scene. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I was honored to be honored to be in the same sentence with Mueller. Trust <laughs> yeah. me. Oh. Should all of you should be that are still around doing it should be a part of this? I'm dying up here, even if it's consultation or just anything well, like that. I, I, I almost feel like they're so scared to base it to on base it on reality real. because yeah. they know they had to switch everything. Yeah, and like I, I think Jim Carrey bought 
the concept and then realized that he Oopsie. would be paying people <laughs> constantly for the rights to their yeah, likeness or whatever it is. So yeah, um, and your liability and your your, yeah. your lawyer fees. And, right, that's yeah. crazy. But, um, so I, I feel like they're just scared enough for like we don't want to know. Well, too I've seen. Much. The, have you all seen the uh, previews? For the new for season, the new yeah. season? It, I looks like, it looks a lot more realistic. It looks like there's a lot more partying this year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that was it. One of the, the the guy I'm in a scene with is like one of the younger guys, and he you know he gets like a a part on a sitcom, and his whole thing is like, you know, his manager keeps telling him, you know, you know, you put in the work, you do this, and and it works out. And he's like, I don't think I did any of those things. And so he just walks into a, a great. Let's get Argus and Mule Deer. Yeah, he just walks into like a great role on a sitcom, and so his character is just off the deep end, doing blow and partying. Oh. He's got a stripper girlfriend. Yeah, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I'll sue because he's not doing enough blow. Yeah, I'll dare you. You got two nostrils, damn it. <laughs> Thunder bumping down the... T- <laughs> Thunder bump. Thunder bump. Uh, yeah. came along a little later. <laughs> that was a later thing? Yeah. That's... So when, when, did, when did the blow start? I mean, as soon as they started doing blow at the club you were in? Or was it, it at some Crest convincing? Hill or was it... No, 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 no. It was in... A, I was here for about two, two months. <laughs> <laughs> in '76, and and L.A. Boogie Nights hits. Boogie Nights, the movie hits it right on the head. It was 1976 when the town exploded. Yeah, it was tremendous. Yes, Nixon's gone. We're going to party and party, and this party would last from '76 until Belushi's death. Right. Wow. And what happened was, it was it was a perfect thing. I get here in '76, and in 1984, I'm I'm the bookend on this story. Um, Sandra Bernhardt is up for the lead in uh, The King of Comedy. King of Comedy. Great okay? movie, by the way. And Mitzi had been using her sort of as a late-night chanteuse forever. Mm-hmm. You know, well, she put him on. She put her on right before Paul Mooney, and Mooney. She was kind of a devotee of Mooney. Right. And she would just kill the crowds late at night in that loose atmosphere, you know, when there's maybe 40 customers scattered around, and just kill them with her hip stuff. But she had never performed at 10 o'clock. Okay. And okay. this was this was the showcase because De Niro was coming over to see her. Oh, okay. Okay. So De Niro came over. So Mitzi had me MC starting at nine forty. So I would bring her up. So my job is to go up and kill the crowd, and then bring her up and then MC. Okay. So so it's a packed crowd, and De Niro shows up with Belushi, and Robin shows up. Oh wow! And so they're they're in the back of the room. I go up. I do my job. Kill the crowd. I bring up Sandra. And we're all standing down by the payphone at the at the base yeah. of the stairs, hoping she I does that well. Phone. And she murders. She just yeah. murders. And she gets the role. And Mitzi's <gasps> so happy. I've never seen her happier. She's sitting in the back of the room. She hugs Sandra. And uh, De Niro tells her she's got the role. I think he told her then. And uh, so they decide to go celebrate at the Chateau Marmont. And I say to Mitzi, can I go to play with We want to talk comedy. <laughs> yeah, smart. Yeah, yeah. The Louis C.K., come on, let's talk comedy. <laughs> Some arm exercise. Louis child's play compared to what you're going to talk. Yeah. And, and so Mitzi says, no, I know what you want to do. <laughs> you stay here, you're going to MC. I can't go play with Robin and Belushi. Oh, and my. De Niro, and Belushi dies 
of the overdose right there in that motel room. There had just been one person to do their fair share of that coke that night. (laughs) I am. They all had too much because that one they out. wouldn't let me have them under her thumb. It's not my. It's never the alcoholic's no, fault. No, of no, course not. No. not my fault. You would have done your part if she would have yeah. let you. Right. And so what happened was right then and there, uh, the baby boomers were all about ready to settle down, buy some property, and turn it over to the next generation. And that's when the party ended. It started when Nixon resigned in '74. It ended when Belushi died in '84. Wow. And it was the next generation's turn. Yeah. And that's just... To get sober. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> we, we, oh, well, the, the alcoholics, we did. We got all got sober in 83, 84, 85. And ironically enough, Beverly Hills AA became the hippest club in town. Yeah. Because yeah. these were all go-getting, show business, movers and shakers. And even one of the movies... Uh, the Player. The Player. And he talk, would, a guy he, faked he, being a, a drug addict yeah. to go to Beverly Hills AA because that's where all the directors and producers were. He's uh, the network. My, favorite line where he's like oh i didn't know you had a problem he's like i don't i'm just trying to get a movie sold and i was like oh jesus that's <laughs> it was hilarious. at the rodeo meeting on friday night at beverly hills presbyterian there'd be yeah. 400 people in there dressed to the nines for a while i thought about faking it like let's yeah. go in there i'm irish they'll believe me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's wasted <laughs> i'm sure she had a problem i, I did a bunch when i was a, a doorman here i think i had Cocaine? just been passed oh. uh no i i did a bunch of <laughs> uh, Narcotics Anonymous shows. Oh. oh. So I, I did these shows back then. Uh, I was hanging out with Wheels a lot. We were smoking pot a lot. Yeah. And Wheels didn't have a car. Right. So Naturally. But Wheels, his name is Wheels. Wheels. I, right. I know. It's weird. But Wheels booked all these shows out in like Riverside. And yeah. so it'd be like, you know, you go open for Wheels. He headlines. You do like 15 or 20, which was way more stage time than I was getting anywhere else. Right. I just had to drive and pick them up and take them out there. Yeah. And I got a little bit of money and a meal is usually yeah. the what I would get paid. But uh, Wheels um, Wheels took me somewhere, and the guy who was running the show that night got into a fight with Wheels. Okay. And then, uh, the guy, when I was getting ready to leave, he's like, let me get your contact information. I'm like, all right. So I gave it to him. And then he booked me on these Narcotics Anonymous shows in Orange County somewhere. I'd do it like once a month. And we'd go down there, and he would tell everyone beforehand, all the comics would be like, don't do any drug jokes. What? Yeah. And so he'd go on, and then so the first time I did, I'm just like, fuck this guy. When I was young, that was my thing. If right. you tell me not to do something, right. that's I'll what I'm doing. forget it. And so I just opened. Someone went up before me, and you could tell they were just struggling because it was like they had planned to talk yeah. about drugs. And I just go, man, how funny would that last comic have been if we were all fucked up on coke? And everyone started <laughs> cheering. And I was like, all right, I'm just going for it. Yeah. You know, it's not worth the, you know, $50, whatever I was going to get. So I did my whole like 20-minute set, all drug jokes, mm-hmm. and talking about how I still party and you know, how I'm looking at them and just really happy that their life is cleaned and it's more drugs on the market for me. <laughs> And I did, must have loved it. Oh, I did. They were loving it. Wow. I did so great. And I got off. And the dude's name was Bob. He was like, well, you pretty much did everything I told you not to do, but they liked you the best. So <laughs> if, if you want to come back, you can come back. I'm like, all right. I did that for like a year and a half, like once a and month. Bob wow. learned a little lesson in control, didn't he? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, 
so you helped me with so many things, but uh, I remember like my first ex fiance had a problem, and I called you because I didn't know who else to turn to. Yeah, because when I got here, everybody was sober, so right. I was like, "Oh, okay, party's over, <laughs> yeah. shit," and this is boring. And uh, <laughs> but then, of course, I started dating somebody with a problem, and you, uh, I, I called you and I told you what he'd been doing, and you go, "You're gonna have to get out of there." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit!" If Argus is telling me to get out, I'm going. <laughs> Yeah. Now, are you doing podcast? What are you doing nowadays? Like, well, um, the comedy store is the hottest thing in the world right now, and we, we can thank it. we can thank the the uh, the millennials for that because they will not stand in line and and be turned away. Uh, they buy the tickets ahead of time, yes, yeah. and they just sell out ahead of time. That's yeah. amazing. And Adam is doing tremendous lineups. Yeah, uh, Eric Anderson is is a superb general manager. Yep. Yeah, and they're bringing in uh, this guy from Fox named Michael Nathanson. Who's yeah, I met him the other night. Uh, Great guy. Going to be putting together video uh, shows, podcasts, and yeah. or talk shows. So I'm going to be hosting called the Comedy Store Live, starring Argus Hamilton. We had That's a two-and-a-half-hour production meeting today on it. Nice. I mean, writers, lighting, cameras, everything. And we're going to do uh, five shows in 10 days in middle of May and then try to work in an audience uh, to maybe, maybe where we could do the belly room, six, 6 o'clock, what do you say, before the shows start, right. with, with an audience. That's great. Opening monologue, veteran comic, new comic. Uh, and That's then a, Maybe a cute sidekick. I was, um, I was thinking of Erica Rhodes. I think she'd be a good sidekick. What do you think? I don't know who that Erica is. Erica Rhodes. Erica Rhodes. Uh, she work here? Uh, oh. she, Tommy was about to make her a regular when he he left. Uh, I she, feel like she, I know her from social media, but uh. yeah, yeah, she's a really sharp, sharp blonde. She's the niece of uh, Prairie Home Companion Garrison Keeler. Oh, she cool. was She was on okay. his radio show from the time Probably she was twelve. Probably if I see on. her face, I know yeah, her. But yeah. it, 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 that's great. But that's a perfect vehicle for yeah, you. The opening monologue, to be quite and then a little thing for the sidekick, and then uh, we'll have. I mean, Blake Clark or Tim Thomerson come in Ugh, and talk about history and then show some old clips of them and then bring in uh, you or, or, or bring in you and you talk about where you're going to perform this weekend, what's going on, and show a clip of you, you know, and, That's great. and do what we're doing now. That's yeah. awesome. That's what we try to do is keep the history of the comedy store alive at least yeah. and then show what's happening now, then, and, you know, whatever. I mean, that's that's This is the right. You guys are, you guys are great. So. You guys are really great. Thank really. you. We we love the club so much that you know it was one exactly. of those things where it's, it's when, our, she, when she asked me about like hey what do you think about me doing podcast with you I was like fuck yes yeah so <laughs> I know other people will be like you should get a co-host I'm like who am I going to get that actually loves the comedy store that. though because lifers know each other yeah look true. at us the three of us yeah. <laughs> we are three lifers <laughs> yes, in different generations That's <laughs> and you know what I'm going to tell you something <laughs> all your little buddies okay that ran away yeah to get their series. Yeah. Okay. And that big money that the agent got 10% of, the manager got 15% of, the IRS got 50% of, that that uh, wife is going to get the other 50%. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and they're going to come back here with their tail between their legs in 10 years, they wishing they do. had your time slot. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely and right. I am not speculating. <laughs> <laughs> so when does this start? When does this? Uh, we'll, we'll do the, uh, the test shows. Uh, and put it on the air in the middle of May. Our next production meeting is in the middle of April. That's amazing. All right. Phenomenal. And you're yeah. on social media. I know you, you Facebook a yeah, lot. Facebook. Yeah, let them know because these I, people I run my uh, jokes on, at Argus Hamilton on Facebook. And I, I 
the, the jokes I write for the newspaper, I try them out. And if they get 30 likes, that means it, it'll it's work good. on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone should be following him. Seriously, he he writes every day something that is always topical. Yep. He's a, a plethora of history. I mean, yep. he knows everything. So now, today, Today's joke was uh, was about the way the uh, cable news handled the Stormy Daniels interview. And what did you think? CNN said that Trump had sex with a porn star. MSNBC said Trump had sex with a porn star. Fox News said that Trump... Gave CPR to an actress and saved her life. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's phenomenal. Still got it. This <laughs> is why Duncan Trussell long. said that there's only there's only limited royalty at the comedy store. And he goes <laughs> by the name of Argus Hamilton. That is absolutely right, Lord Argus Hamilton. Thank you all very much. Thanks for being on. Thank man. We you so it. much for doing it. Greatly appreciate. I got to go Argus. home and finish the column. Yep. But, yeah. Right. Get you home, kept all your come to the comedy. Thank store. you for having me. You guys are great. Yeah. And I and listen. And I want if I have any fans that are listening right now that don't know these two i want you to know these are two of the funniest people i've ever seen get your tail to the comedy store and see them because uh they're treasures and you don't want to lose out on on, on talent like them uh, i've never seen anyone uh like rick on stage so much he's like the protestant version of rickles okay wow yeah. it's funny yeah. because you've seen everything so I've to say everything. that is amazing alan Stephen would be rickles's son and, okay and, and rick would be the protestant version and, and, wow take that. And, and, i love that that's an amazing yeah, yeah that's a dream come true comparison well, and speaking of dreams the irish dream is eleanor <laughs> <laughs> and you just think she's a little angel up there and she opens her you mouth learn. and lacerates your soul yeah, with you her learn. truth when you start identifying with her <laughs> and you just laugh out of just to keep from hurting so hard yep that's it just laugh at my pain. Thanks, guys. <laughs> That's right, because people don't pay $20 a ticket to hear how well we're doing. That's right. Yep. That's right. I've witnessed it on stage. but uh, true. Thank you for being thank on. Right, I appreciate George. it. Thank you so Come much. Come to the Comedy Store, see a show. Come see what Mitzi built. And it's uh, always a pleasure to rate us, listen. Subscribe. And uh, what's the other thing? Rate? Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you can leave comments if you want, negative or positive. We don't care. We love it all. <laughs>